Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the Property Doctor podcast with me, your host, Dr Andrew Threadgold from Corner Plot Properties. This week is uh, a little bit different. We're going to try and do a little bit of, not education, but um, insight into how we do things at Corner Plot. Um, In particular, why we have chosen the area that we predominantly invest in, how we came to that, uh, how we qualify it, um, why it's such a, a place that is dear to us and hopefully you can take one or two things from it um, for your own property investing because um, I think the difference between a lot of hobbyists and by that I'd mean no disrespect to anybody but the vast majority of landlords I think it's about 80% of landlords could be wrong but I think 80% of landlords typically have one property um, then there's only about 10% or so that have two, and then once you've got three or more, I think you're only in the top five or so percent of, of property investors. So the vast majority of people tend to either be accidental landlords or they get one buy to let and then that's the end of it. Or they, it's, they're doing it on the side to try and kind of have something for their pension in the future you know there's a lot of reasons why people get into property but for us we are doing this professionally this is a business that is here for the long term that will hopefully stand our children and their children and their children in good stead as an income producing venture for generations to come so we need to approach it in a in a different way to the majority, um, but to a, a way very similar to those that are professional. And so the first thing that you need to do when you are looking at anything properly, professionally, whatever, is uh, is to have a system in place that helps to guide you um, as to what is a good place and what isn't, um, and then drill down on that. So that's where I'm coming from with this episode and um, I hope you find it of of some benefit. Incidentally, if you do get any benefit from any of the the podcasting that I do, then I'd really appreciate it if you'd head over to my Instagram account at cornerplotsproperties and um, and follow me on there. Send me a message, say that... um, you agree or disagree or like or don't like or whatever just interact i'd uh i get i get some really good feedback from the uh from the podcast and i'd really love more people to um to interact so that i can better guide the stuff that i'm producing anyway so why redcar why redcar in particular well for those of you that don't know um redcar is um is a little tiny seaside place on the northeast coast of England. Um, its closest big town is Middlesbrough. And when everybody thinks of Middlesbrough, they think of smog, coal, fires, you know, it, it used to be called, or the football fans are called the Smoggies um, because it's it, it's a very industrial area. Um, equally, there is uh, not far from Middlesbrough. You only need to drive five or six minutes and you're in the North, North Yorkshire National Park. There's 
unbelievable countryside just on our doorstep. So it's one of the best kept secrets in the country. And as someone that's lived all over the country, um, I went to medical school in London. I grew up in the, the, the Pennines, lived in Scotland. I've been all over, but, um, this part of the northeast, the Cleveland area, so uh, near Teesside and the, um, the the Cleveland coast, it's um, it, I wouldn't live anywhere else. Actually, it's it's fantastic, and it just so happens that that Redcar is in this this area. So Redcar is in between Hartlepool and Mask. It started off back in the day as a small fishing kind of enclave and its name originates back to to the anglo-saxon i think it's supposed to originate from reed marsh um and then obviously through the years it's developed into red car um anyway so it started off as a little fishing town or a little tiny fishing enclave and next door to it was the fishing enclave of cotham now, Cotham was in the Doomsday Book, uh, mentioned as the healing waters of Cotham, and people would travel by horse and carriage all over the country to come and try and put their disabled and, not disabled, but diseased relatives into the waters of Cotham to try and heal them of their scurvy or whatever it is that they had at that time. Um, and it must have worked because it got a name for itself, either that or it was uh, it was just all a big blag, snake oil and smoke and mirrors. But that's in the Doomsday Book. Um, and then as as things progressed, people realised that the beach was absolutely fantastic. And then I think in the early 19th century, the seaside holiday resort type um, idea came into fashion and lots of places along the coast of Britain got popular. It would be, you know, all the coastal places... So Redcar actually became a bit of a tourist attraction. And there's, because of that, you've got lots of Victorian architecture around, what's left of it, but there's, there is still quite a bit. And then as you go just slightly down, about five minutes, ten minutes drive away into Saltburn, you've got lots of fantastic architecture. And then, you know, another 10, 15, 20 miles further down the coast, you're at Whitby with Whitby Abbey and, and all the rest of it. So this particular part of the northeast coastline is is really, or was really popular. Then I've got family members that, that tell me that there used to be roller coasters and massive theme parks and things in Redcar. And throughout the years, you've had all sorts of bands, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, Dire Straits, all the all the big names used to play at the various attractions in Redcar itself. So Redcar, through the years, has been a pretty popular place. Now, when I first moved to the area, well, when I became a GP and I got my first job as a partner, I worked in Redcar, even though I've never lived there personally. Um, and I used to get people that would come in to see me as patients and say to me, I'd say, where are you from? You, you sound like you're from southeast London. And they'd say, yeah, I am. I'd say, well, what are you doing here? And they'd say, well, my mum used to bring me here on holiday. So when I retired, I always, because the prices of houses are so cheap, I, I sold up and I always wanted to come back to Redcar because we've been going to re, coming to Redcar on holiday for years. And I used to think to myself, wow, you know, that's when, you, when I go away on holiday, I don't go to places like Redcar particularly. 
Um, I like to go somewhere where it's quite warm and the northeast coast isn't the best in terms of its weather. So the thing with Redcar is that it used to be really popular, as did a few of the other surrounding areas. And then iron ore was found in the local hills and the steel production, steel industry started in Teesside. And that's where the whole smoggy name comes from. All the industry that was here, the, this smelting of of steel together or whatever it is that they do with it and the powers that owned the steelworks decided that Redcar had the deepest port or the deepest estuary sorry in probably one of the deepest in the in the country so they built one of the biggest blast furnaces in the world on the coast of Redcar and it's an absolutely horrible disgusting building that if the residents of Redcar listen to this, they'll be up in arms because people love it as a monument of the prosperity gone by. But actually, it's an old, rusty, decrepit building that casts a big shadow over anybody that looks at it. But that building and its associated rest of the premises and the, the allied services that are around it on the on the steelworks site employed more people than any other industry in the area. So at one point, the the Steelworks was the prime employer of people in Teesside. And it it used to be a thing. You'd leave school and you'd go and work in the Steelworks and you'd have a job for life. And that was was what it was like. And it went on from about 1920 all the way through to the roughly 1990-2000, something like that. So about 80 years of steel production. Something like that. Don't quote me, but you get the picture. Then, kind of, when you get to the, the turn of the century, or there or thereabouts, China started upping their steel production, our steel costs got too high, and to cut a long story short, the steelworks spluttered and stopped. Um, and one day, the steelworks stopped producing steel and was mothballed. And with it, just like that, overnight, The whole area, being the biggest employer in the area, the whole area went into an economic nosedive. So everybody that had jobs there, which is most people, ended up being unemployed or laid off or made redundant or whatever. And the whole area around it was was really badly affected. Um, Then everything started falling apart. Now, I, I wasn't here by this point. This is just the history of the area. So when I, by the time I came to work in Redcar, there was massive unemployment, the place looked very shabby and run down, and it really did look like a poor relation. Like, as Morrissey, Morrison says, or Morrissey says in that song, the seaside town, they forgot to close down. It was, you know, it, it wasn't the best area. And with it being the northeast, it's northeast is probably the poorest area in the country anyway. So house prices were low, all properties were low, and unemployment was low, was high, income was low, grim. I think that's the best word for it. So that proceeded for quite a while. Up popped a few other industries. I mean, fortunately, we also had ICI and the big chemical industries in Teesside, so quite a few people were able to get jobs. But essentially, you get the picture. It got pretty run down pretty quickly. 
a few of the younger people that had transferable skills ended up getting into the oil and gas industry and going working offshore on oil rigs or doing whatever. And now over the past five or six years, there is a palpable sense of prosperity coming back to Teesside. Certainly I've been here since 2003, four, and it's the first time since then that you can actually feel a buzz around the place that, that, that money is coming back to the area optimism is is here and a lot of it is to do with the regeneration of the area so that leads me on nicely to why redcar and why and how in particular we qualify the area so when you're looking at an area i mean first of all when people come to me and ask me to help with regards to their property goals they would say well what's best hmo buy to let whatever and truthfully what's best there's pros and cons to them all so you have to decide what your goal is so first of all decide what your goal is whether that be a certain level of income whether that be building a pension whether it be capital strategies whatever decide what your income what your goal is and then you can work back and decide what strategy to use once you've decided on your strategy then you can narrow it down to what areas and how to qualify them so our chosen strategy is serviced accommodation, typically. And serviced accommodation, you look for short-term lettings or short-term rentals. So what areas are, are best for short-term rentals? Well, when you're looking at a short-term rental business, your your customer, your your clients are usually either holidaymakers or workers coming to the area. Now, it if you've watched the news recently, you will have, even on the national news, it, it, there's been a lot of buzz around Redcar. We've got the, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer and, and Boris, before he got booted out, coming to Redcar quite often about the, the regeneration of the British steel plant. We've also got the UK's first free port being put at Redcar. We've also got Redcar and Wilton, which is part of Redcar, being hailed as the flagship carbon neutral or carbon zero area. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Bear in mind it also used to be a seaside holiday town too. So lots of people are kind of noticing this and because of that it's getting quite a bit of of new investment. So the first thing you look for when you qualify an area is does it have your ideal client or are they likely to get there? Yes. Well, in, in Redcar's case, they are certainly likely to come, be, if not for work, then for nothing else. So that's that's a big tick. Then the second thing that you want to look at when you qualify in an area is, do people want to live there? Well, Redcar's population has been pretty historically plateaued for quite a while. But there's, with all the work that's coming to Redcar, there's four and a half billion pounds of private funding that's been, been been pledged on the old British steel site, which is hundreds and hundreds of acres. It's massive. So there's going to be long-term jobs. And they're saying that something like 20,000 jobs on that site. And it looks like it's actually going to happen. So those people are going to need places to live. You can also tell that by the number of planning applications that have gone up, and if you you go on the council website and look for the SHLA, S-H-L-A-A, and that will show you all the areas that have been earmarked for new builds. So if there's lots of new build housing going on in a place, then you know that they're expecting people to want to live there. So 
are people going to live there? Yes. Are, people, are your ideal clients going to go there? Yes. What else? Well, the other thing is, if no matter what property strategy you're doing, one of your exits will always be to just rent it as a buy-to-let. So what do buy-to-let tenants want? It's usually young families with with young kids, so schools are really important. So does the area that you're looking at have good schools? Well, Redcar's got several schools, and it's got colleges, lots of primary schools, Um so yeah, it, it, and the, the schools are pretty good in the area. So it makes it ticks that box too. What about jobs? Well, I've already come onto the. Um, I've already mentioned why Redcar is so good for that because there's lots of jobs being created. So yes, it meets that one too. Another thing that you want to look at before you decide on a on an area is transport links. Are people going to get in and out of where it is, or is it in the Arse end of nowhere. Well, Redcar, with it having the old steelworks, they needed to transport the steel. So you've got excellent arterial roads in and out of the area. You've got it's on the coast, so there's there's a big ferry terminal. It's not particularly passenger terminal, but there's there's there is sea links, um, and you, nearby you've got Teesside or Durham and Tees Valley Airport. So you've got an airport, you've got car transport links, you've got the sea, and there's uh, two train stations in Redcar as well. Well, there's three. One was at the Steelworks, but that's not in use anymore. So you've got good transport links, you've got good jobs. Transient workers coming to the area because of all the construction and demolition that's going on. So you've got great schools, Anything else that you want to look for? Well, yeah, you want to look for crime. And the thing with Redcar is that it's kind of, in a, it's on the, I would say it's average for crime, let's put it like that, because it, it was a, an impoverished area that is now on the up. And as the areas are getting redeveloped, you are finding that the crime is getting a bit less. Although at the minute we're on the edge of a cost of living crisis, so God knows what's going to happen with it. But it's certainly, compared to where I used to live in East London, Leighton, Leighton Stone, Whitechapel, the the crime is not on that level, let me tell you. So altogether, that's not a bad start. Well, what about everything else that's going on in America? What about the other things that are important to property professionals, such as the price of houses and the yields and return on investment and all this. Well, that's the other beauty of the area. Now, it's well known that if you want the best capital appreciation for a property, you'll buy it within the M25 because those prices always go up and there's no denying that. However, because they are so expensive to buy... The, even though the rents are quite high, they are not giving you the same, the right yield. Or the, they're certainly not giving you a good yield. So you buy in London for capital appreciation, you don't buy for income. Whereas the opposite is true up here. Um, you tend not to get great capital appreciation in these areas. For example, we've only just got back to house prices at the level that they were in 2008 before the last financial crash. So it's taken well over 10 years for us to get back to that level. Now we're heading past it and we are getting some capital appreciation coming and it's likely, in my opinion, that the capital appreciation will come and continue 
over the next few years, especially whilst all this regeneration is going on in the area. But I wouldn't count on it in the in these areas miles away from London because people tend to forget about us. Having said that, in nearby Darlington, there's lots of building going on there where the treasury is being moved and all the rest of it. But, you know, hopefully it continues and that is a sign of the levelling up that they keep promising. But I wouldn't bank on it. It's nice if it does happen. However, because the cost of entry is comparatively low compared to London, the rents compared to the price of the houses are good. So you tend to get a great yield. Um, so, for example, you might be able to get a three-bed terraced house for, I don't know, eighty to £100,000 in average condition, and you might get five or 600 quid um, a month from that if you rent it out. So your mortgage might be 150, 160 quid. So you're on 340 quid, say, so call it 300 quid a month. Um, and you've only put 25 grand deposit down. So, you know, you can do the sums, but the yields are pretty good. And compared to London, if you've got 100 grand sat in the bank, you can buy four of those with the 100 grand. And that's not, not a bad start. Um, so house prices are are reasonable, but they are rising. Um, what else is knocking about in the area for, for property people? Well, there's lots of of old, run-down houses. With it being an old seaside town, there is a lot of people that moved in, became old, didn't do their properties up, and have passed on. And therefore, there's a never-ending supply of refurbs to be done. So Redka's a great town for the, for those things too. Now, a, a lot of people will say, well, I've looked at Redcar and it seems that every man and his dog is springing up serviced accommodation and holiday lets in Redcar. So I'm not going to do that. And I would say to that, well, do you do your research first because if you look on the uh, the data that comes out of their DNA and places like that, there seems to be a lot of people that have got holiday lets disappearing or retiring, and those spaces need to be replenished. So there's a lot of churn and turnover there, and plus the area is getting a lot more visitors to it purely and simply through the work in the area. So there is the demand for it there too. The other thing I would say about that is that the there will always be a demand for service accommodation in somewhere like Redcar. Now, the fact that there's lots of them, that's great because it, that can only drive the standards up. So that's a good thing. The other the other thing is that the top twenty percent of service accommodation units will be full anyway. So if you want to be full, make sure you've got the best one. And if you don't have the best one, then try something else somewhere else. So for us, it's about having a niche in our marketplace. It's about having the best properties or the best service accommodation units that are around, that are well-maintained, well-serviced, well-cleaned with all the amenities that they need and they are better than the competition. And as long as they've got that, you will always get people using them. So don't worry about the fact that things are oversaturated, they're only oversaturated if you're middle of the road. If you're in the top few percent, they're not oversaturated and the word will get out eventually. 
So that's my thoughts on that matter. I'd like to say a little quick mention about the the actual stuff that is coming to Redcar because it's all very well and good me me sprouting on about it, but what tangible things are happening that that makes me so confident about the place? Well, the the British Steel site is massive, so the steelworks is in the middle of being demolished at the minute. When that eyesore goes, people will go to those beaches and be able to look north and see that the there is no no beacon of industry that's ruining their view we're also starting to get a positive buzz around redcar as a holiday destination again so airbnb said that redcar is in their top seven destinations um this year then the sunday times has said that the redcar beach or the the south gare to cawthon beach is one of the best beaches in the country so there's a buzz about the tourism coming to redcar the, as I've said before, there's billions of pounds being pledged to the uh, the British Steel site, which is being redeveloped. General Electric have put in a massive plant on there. It's being built at the minute that's going to make stuff for the wind turbines. You've got the Wilton Institute and the Wilton site, which is the carbon zero site for the country, and that's going to be producing lots of wind turbines and God knows what else, solar and whatever, lots of carbon zero energy production going on there there's been a brand new cinema um, built on the on the on the coastline itself on the seafront um, that's just been taken over and that's going to start showing films very soon have a look at the regent cinema red car on google it's a fantastic building probably got the best views from that cinema out to sea that you'll find anywhere um Obviously, we've got the Freeport. So the Freeport means that businesses are going to build new factories within the boundaries of the Freeport, and they'll be able to trade in and out through the port tax-free or very very low tax. So that's going to generate more and more factories and industry within Teesside itself. Then the Red Car was, was given about 20 or 30 million quid as part of the government's town deal fund, and there's lots of regeneration going on across Redcar High Street and the Station Road area. So the actual town centre is going to get a facelift as well. Um, so in essence, there is so much going for Redcar and not a great deal against it. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, the more investment and the more people come and put their money into Redcar to increase the quality of accommodation, revitalise the area, attract more tourism to Redcar, make the workers comfortable when they come so that they actually stay here when their contracts are finished, the better. We can't get enough of it in Redcar because it, it deserves to be back up there as one of the, the seaside places to be. And I hope that it, even a few of you listening to this podcast will have a little Google about Redcar, think about what I've said about it, and maybe consider investing your own money up there. Um, if I can be of any help to anybody that wants to know about Redcar, please reach out, send me an email, whatever, get in touch on Instagram. Um, or if you're too far away and you just want a good return on your money, then you could always contact me and I'm sure we'll be able to help you with that, giving you some passive returns. So there we go. Half an hour on the mighty Redcar, why I love it so much and why I can't see us going very far at the minute when there's so much still to do. I hope you've 
found some value from this. Once again, thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye.